You're listening to an Eyes on Washington podcast brought to you by Holland and Knight's Public Policy and Regulation Group. Our Public Policy and Regulation Group is a strong bipartisan team with deep ties throughout Washington, D.C. We have built a thriving government affairs practice through our depth of experience and diversity and by maintaining our bipartisan approach. This episode of our State Attorney's General podcast series is hosted by former General Counsel to the Governor and the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania and former Senior Associate Counsel to the President, as well as frequent legal commentator on CNN, Jim Schultz. This series will dive into the importance and growing role of state attorneys general while hearing firsthand on what they are working to accomplish in their communities. Welcome to Holland and Knight's Eyes on Washington. This next installment I'm proud to have on today, Sean Reyes, who is the attorney general from the state of Utah. My name is Jim Schultz. I chair the state attorney's general practice at the firm. And I'm very pleased to have such an esteemed guest on today. Sean, welcome. Thank you so much, Jim. And thanks to all of the night for hosting. It's a, it's a pleasure to be on with you, my friend. Thank you. And Sean, why don't you have a very interesting and humble background? I, I think it'd be great for our listeners just to hear a little bit about your background, where you came from, and how you got to where you are today. Thank you. I uh, appreciate it. Yes, my my dad uh, was an immigrant from the Philippines, Spanish and Filipino heritage. His uncle had served at one time as the president of the Philippines. So we have a little bit of public service in our background. But he came to escape the Marcos regime under very difficult circumstances. He was an amazing uh, hero of mine. Uh, accomplished so much in his own country, gave up all of that to come and live the American dream and escape the totalitarian uh, regime there. That was in the late 60s. Came penniless, not knowing anyone, and established himself and started to build his American dream. My mom is uh, born and raised on the big island of Hawaii. So she's Japanese, Hawaiian, Chinese. Um, And so I'm a kind of a melting pot in terms of race and ethnicity, but grew up when they met and married um, in a little tougher part of the Los Angeles area. So I was born in Southern California. If any of you have been by the the airport in LAX and seen a big donut, uh, kind of iconic Randy's donut there, a landmark that's right there on La Cienega where where I was raised. Went to junior high, high school out in the San Fernando Valley, went home almost every summer to Hawaii to work on my grandparents' farm. So really, I got to live the rural, uh, rustic life. I got to live the inner city and then suburban life. I loved it all, multi-religious, multi-ethnic, multi-political family. Uh, Got recruited to play some ball and came out to play for Brigham Young University. Uh, Found out I really wasn't good enough to play there, but fell in love with the state and fell in love with a a young lady from the state of Utah who's been uh, now 25 years of marriage and absolute treasure, the angel of my life, and six kids and several careers, including this crazy one in public service uh, later. We're, we're still together going strong, and the state of Utah is going strong. I just won a re-election and honored to serve four more years now uh, in my third term, Jim. 
Sean, that's great. Thank you so much. And, and you know, so let's talk a little bit of what, what are some of the priorities in your office? Now, you know, before you get into that, this is Eyes on Washington, right? That's the name of this podcast. And somebody asked me the other day, why, why Eyes on Washington? We're going to talk about AGs. And my response to them is, you know, if you haven't been watching, AGs have been taking on issues that have national significance in the in the past number of years. And not only that, but where, you know, you have a Republican administration in office, you see Democratic AGs kind of kind of holding them accountable in their way. And when you see a Democratic administration in, you know, you see Republican AGs taking on the administration. And then in a bipartisan way, when there are big issues across the country that are affecting this country, you see state AGs in a bipartisan way stepping up and taking on things like, you know, the 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 data privacy and things like that. Sean, what are the priorities in your office? And if you could focus a little bit on what you've been doing on the more national issues, that would be great. Of course. And you summarized that so well, Jim. I think we should take you with us as state AGs, uh, as our PR um, director because the reality is most people around the country don't know what AGs do. I didn't, before I became an attorney general, I didn't come from within the office, I came from the private sector. So just to touch more on my background, I spent 14 years in our largest private law firm representing a lot of technology companies and litigating and trying cases you know, for international and local clients. And then I was in-house counsel, general counsel for a tech company, then went to go be a partner in a venture fund that was very tech oriented. So we invested and helped run a lot of tech plays and companies and then landed here now as a state regulator overseeing a lot of government regulation and a lot of what I have made a priority in my administration across various different platforms and different subject matter though is sort of the, the balance between regulation and innovation. You know, as state AGs, we have a mandate to protect our citizens, our consumers, whether that's from violent crime or white collar crime or digital uh, invasion and harm. And how do we do that and not stifle innovation and hold uh, technology companies at the same time accountable who may be getting too big and too powerful and, uh, and level the playing field so that we truly have a fair market. All of those are types of things that state AGs do. You you said it very, very well. Uh, we are a check and a balance from time to time against the federal government, uh, whether that's executive level uh, in the presidency, um, even Congress, uh, state AGs, we, we may file lawsuits. Uh, they can look political because as you suggest from time to time, uh, we have cases that uh, you know, one administration that's a Democrat administration will see Republican AGs be very uh, active in trying to hold them accountable. But as you also alluded to, and I think the majority of the work that we do as state AGs is really national and collaborative. And when I say national, it's because uh, it affects each and every one of our states. So we come together and. We want Washington to help us as a partner. The federal government um, is so powerful and affects so much of our lives, but often will take, uh, we think, a heavy-handed role in policy that directly affects uh, our constituents and states. So we put aside Democrat, Republican, independent labels, come together in a bipartisan way, and we'll often push back 
against federal overreach, regardless of who is uh, who is in power at, at the federal level, Congress or executive branch. And then we will also collaborate to uh, in the business side of things, as you mentioned, big tech, um, data protection. We will come together as we have. We have a, a national lawsuit against Facebook. We have a number of them against Google. And I'm on the leadership team of one of those. And I can tell you, we've been working on these Google cases for years. Um, and that's not to say Google is evil, does you know everything wrong. They've been uh, contributors and innovators uh, to so many ways that have benefited society and improved our lives. But they have also, uh, we believe, stifled a lot of competition and ended up hurting smaller businesses in our states. And so these things, uh, as they affect our jurisdictions, we come together, uh, whether it's on the opioid side, to hold those who've brought the opioid uh, crisis um, to, uh, to us, to hold them accountable. Um, we did that back in the day with the tobacco companies uh, before my time when state AGs banded together. So you're exactly on point where, where we can, we try to come together to influence policy at the federal level. And we certainly do that locally at the state level. Uh, we're not policy makers, we're policy enforcers. And since we're tasked with enforcing laws, we want to make sure that laws uh, that are passed uh, are ones that are viable, feasible, that, that we believe in, that we can enforce. Um, so all of those things come together in my my emphasis has been on issues like fighting human trafficking, fighting the opioid epidemic, fighting uh, mental behavioral health challenges that manifest themselves in things like teen and young uh, adult suicide, and, and working to get things like the 988 national number uh, passed, which we were successful in the Trump administration was able to, to sign uh, with Congress's uh, passing of that, uh, that bill. Um, things like that are really important to me. White collar fraud, technology issues where we find ways to encourage the private sector to lean in and help us solve these big social issues and try our best not to, uh, not to stifle uh, innovation just because we can as government, because we have resources. Uh, we, we, we're trying to strike always that balance, Jim. And I think that is a, is a good intro to sort of the work that we do collaboratively as state AGs. General, if you could talk a little bit, you know, just recently back in March, I believe, you among 11, 11 other states uh, sued this administration, the Biden administration, over the executive order that sought to establish the so social cost of greenhouse gases. And that was in all states involved, Republican attorneys general. And in that, you know, we, we saw during the Trump administration that the uh, that the cost set was taken down to seven dollars per metric ton from fifty dollars during the Obama administration, and that the Biden administration is now going to temporarily return to that while they look at this issue and determine what the cost is going to be going forward. Could you talk a little bit about? that case and the impact and what, what drives you to get involved in those cases? And you talked about overreach earlier. I, I imagine that's a piece and that's a basis upon which you're, you're pushing out this, this lawsuit and signed onto this lawsuit. Could you talk about that a little bit? 
Sure, and, and there are structural um, challenges, there are constitutional issues, we believe, but from a policy standpoint, maybe I can give some context. This harkens back to the earlier years of, um, of my service and tenure uh, back in 2013 to you know 15 and 16, when during the Obama administration, um, that administration, uh, Vice President Biden, they rolled out some incredibly ambitious um, regulatory policies, um, and I'll give you two examples. One was, uh, you know, the EPA um, and, and clean water, uh, the waters of the United States, um, which would have ceded a lot of state autonomy to the federal government in a way that was unprecedented. And we as state AGs felt like that was far too much of an encroachment. And it's not that we believe that we only as states um, should be involved in management. We just believe that we should be involved in some meaningful way. And so we're very open to collaboration, true federalism, if you will, states and federal government working together. But too often what the federal government calls cooperative federalism which we believe is sort of uh, a misnomer. Uh, it, it's, it's a way of saying a, a federal cram down, you do exactly what we dictate or you'll have no say or participation or federal funds tied to something else are predicated on this. We saw that, we fought back in the waters of the United States. We won at every level and were able to, to rein in that what we again felt was overly ambitious attempt to take away power from the states. Um, similarly, uh, the Clean Power Plan was one where they were, the federal government attempted to regulate far beyond any boundaries that had ever existed before, the fence line. Um, and, you know, we, we know why they were doing that. They had certain policy goals in mind, but to do that, we felt was cheating. Let's achieve those in ways that are cooperative, that we work out through Congress, that we have states be involved in. And this social cost of carbon policy, I feel, and many of my state AG colleagues feel, falls in that same realm. The, the notion that the federal government can come in and then dictate um, terms, regulate, and take over policy based on a somewhat amorphous definition of the social cost of carbon. And if you talk to many experts, even those from, who are Democrat friends, they're having a hard time articulating what that exactly means. Um, subject uh, to interpretation uh, of you know, those who are uh, in power and running things, that could be just about anything that a business does could possibly impact um, the carbon footprint, could possibly um, impact the environment in some way or another. And uh, we just felt like that was a bridge uh, way too far. And so, again, we're not at all opposed to debating these issues, to uh, working together with the federal government to come up with reasonable policies. And we recognize that we're not going to agree on everything, but that's how our country was set up so that we would have a give and take, not just between branches of government, judicial, uh, legislative and executive, but also between federal and state. And that federalism aspect, uh, in our minds, far too often 
um, digresses to just the federal government ending up taking too much power and control over the everyday lives of average Americans. And that's why we filed that suit, Jim. Likewise, General, you, you took on the Biden administration on the on the decision to halt oil and gas leases on federal lands. I imagine that has some serious impact on a state like yours. Is that right? Tremendous. Billions of dollars. Um, that fund, by the way, very bipartisan uh, programs, education, uh, environmental programs, a local government, and by unilaterally acting this way, um, they are impacting our ability to protect and to serve uh, our citizens. Um, what people don't realize in states out in the West, like Utah, they say, well, it's just limited to, these are federal leases only on public lands, on federal lands. Well, 60% of Utah are federal lands, Jim, here. And then so many of those lands are interspersed amongst state lands and private property that even if it's only 60%, there's a checkerboard of impact that uh, effectively shuts down um, development. Uh, and again, this tax base and this opportunity for us to really have uh, autonomy, to be able to run our state in a responsible way that benefits all Utahs, whether they're Democrats, Republicans, Libertarians, it doesn't matter. And so this, again, falls more into the camp of the federal government trying to dictate to the states and take away our ability for our local businesses, our small businesses who are reliant on that sector, um, so much of our infrastructure that's reliant, education and otherwise, um, those programs. Uh, and, and again, we, not just the state of Utah, with the support of Native American tribes in the state um, and others who all benefit and who've invested a lot into the infrastructure for these types of leases. Um, we can go into the, the technical aspects and the legal aspects of it. It violates uh, federal law that mandates quarterly leases. But again, in terms of the policy and why these things mean so much to us at the state level and why our federal delegation is fighting so hard or uh, against these types of policies, Jim, that's, that's it. I don't think we're unreasonable. Again, we're not... Um, didactic. This is not a zero-sum game, one or the other. It's, it's just we have to be able to come together and reason together and, and come up with policies that, uh, that all stakeholders are, are having a say in. So whether it's Utah, the monument designations at our level, social cost of carbon, whether it's HR1 when it comes to voting, uh, or these moratoria on leases, um, and, and many other uh, issues. These are national issues at one level and also very local issues as well, Jim. General, thank you so much for coming on. We're just about going to wrap up. And uh, I just wanted to thank you for taking the time to coming on Eyes on Washington with Holland and Knight and myself. Uh, we love to have you back on some other time. And thank you for all the good work you're doing as a public servant. Thank you, Jim. Thanks, Holland and Knight. And regardless of whether your state agent, whoever you are out there listening, is Democrat, Republican, send them a note of thanks. They're working hard. We work a lot together across party lines, and we get a lot done. And I know they're they're working hard to protect you. Uh, so so be nice to your AG. Thanks, Jim.
Thank you for listening to an Eyes on Washington podcast brought to you by Holland and Knight's Public Policy and Regulation Group. For more information on our Public Policy and Regulation Group, please visit hklaw.com slash PPR.